I turn your attention today to James chapter 2 and verse 17. James chapter 2 and verse 17. Just one verse I want to read in your hearing. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, death by isolation. Death by isolation. You may be seated. Thank you for standing friend of mine is battling cancer and he told me that he just had his six month checkup and they said that he was good the scan everything came back clean and then the oncologist the cancer doctor explained his cancer in a very unique way he said right now we have the cancer scared because we have hit it with radiation and chemotherapy so it is hiding it's still there it's just hiding He said it's afraid to show its face. So every six months we have to scan and see if he's trying to come back or if he's still in hiding. He said we'll do that every six months for five years. And after five years, if we've not seen anything, then it is gone and you have a clean bill of health. Because if it hides long enough, it will die. If it hides long enough, it will die. I had never heard that metaphor of cancer, although I knew that five years was the typical time that they would give you to know for sure if it was coming back. But when I heard that description of cancer, I was, I was very curious about the principle behind it. This principle that if something or someone is forced into hiding long enough, it will die. That was intriguing to me. I I know my cousin, Brother Tom Bush, who um, pastors in Fort Walton Beach and battled uh, throat cancer a number of years ago and, and did this same thing where every six months he went back and scanned. Finally, after five years, the doctor said to him, you will die of something one day. But it will not be this cancer. It is gone. Because if it will hide long enough, it will die. If we can force sin into hiding for at least five years, does it lose its grip on us? That's the rhetorical question that I would ask for you to consider with me today. Can we make sickness or the spirit of infirmity hide through prayer until it dissipates? Not everything is immediate. Even when the Lord prayed, there were times when he had to pray again. But is it possible that the people of God could bind together And begin to pray to the point that sickness cannot show its face. You say, well, Pastor Myers, you're just being a preacher now. Well, possibly. But consider this. Greater than chemotherapy, greater than radiation, 
is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. The power of God is greater than anything that man has ever invented or tried to come up with. And ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is at work in our midst. And if we can learn these principles that we want to talk about today, I believe that God can give us a revelation that we do not have to live in fear, that we do not have to live in hiding, but that we can come into the house of God and lift up our hands and our voice and say, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. No weapon formed against me can prosper. I'm just not going to give it an audience. I'm not going to give it a home. I'm not going to repeat it. I'm not going to allow it to lodge in my brain. I'm going to say, I will bless the Lord. I will exalt God. And if I endure it long enough, It has to die. It has to die. That temptation, that thought that wants to keep coming at you or something from your past or or some addiction that wants to come into your mind, you can't welcome it in. You can't feed it cookies and milk and let it sit in your house and sit in your brain and sit in your thought process. you got to say, oh no, devil, not today. You don't have a place here. You don't have a resting place here. You are not at home here. This is... Is a mind that is given to the Word of God. We live in a world that's full of illusions and full of all sorts of false concepts and beliefs. One of them is that you are held hostage to your feelings or your emotions. That's a lie. You're Your feelings or your emotions are based upon the precepts and the concepts of your mind. What you dwell on in your mind is how you will eventually feel. And so if you want to change your actions, you have to change your thought process. What are you thinking about? What are you dwelling on? If you are dwelling on iniquity, then iniquity will flow from you. But if you're dwelling on righteousness then iniquity has a hard time getting a foothold in your life. That's why throughout the Word of God, you'll see concepts like David saying, I will set no wicked thing before my eye, or or Job saying, I made a covenant with my eyes. In other words, they were saying, we're not going to give place for iniquity. And so what the enemy knows is that if he can just get a foothold, if he can just get you to linger and look at something long enough, or just linger and listen to something long enough because it's funny or, or because it's entertaining, and so we allow that to come into our home and into our minds and into our thought process, and then we wonder how this stuff begins to metastasize spiritually in our thinking. Oh, my friend, you've got to go back to the very beginning. If you want to win the war, you've got to win the battle of the mind. And you've got to say, oh, no, wait a second. I'm not going to align myself with unrighteousness. I'm going to align myself with righteousness. If there be any good thing, think on these things. Then when temptation tries to come your way, it finds a hostile environment. It can't survive in your mind. It can't survive in your emotions. Because you said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. I didn't feel like coming to church today, but I'm here anyhow. Because I'm going to isolate sin. Don't believe this, this lie that I believe is from the pit of hell that, you know, if you've made a mistake this week or... 
if you've, you know, lost your temper or had a fight with your wife or didn't do something right on your job or, you know, I couldn't go to the house of the Lord. I'd be a hypocrite if I'd go to the house of the Lord because I haven't been perfect this week. That's when you do need to go to the house of the Lord. This, these are not perfect people that you're sitting around. We are all here by the grace of God. But the enemy knows that if he can isolate you, he can destroy you. And so he wants to try to keep you out of the house of God. He wants to try to keep you from your brothers and sisters. He wants to try to keep you out so that he can isolate you and destroy you. Because if he can isolate you, then the smell of death comes over you. And everything in its brother tries to attack you in the spirit realm. But you say, I'm going to go to the house of God anyhow. I'm going to bless the Lord anyhow. I'm not perfect, but I serve a perfect God. And I can give him some perfect praise. I say, if you've messed up, if you failed, if you tripped up, come to the house of God anyhow because you say I gotta stay connected to God's people I gotta bless the Lord oh my soul I gotta get in the house of God because if I get there I can live our theme this year is together so these are some things I'd like to explore with you these principles that I believe are from the word of God in our text James mentions this principle this close proximity between isolation and death. Not to teach it, but he literally states it as a matter of fact, as if it's common knowledge. In the field of law, there's also a concept that's called causation. It's an element that must be proven in tort law, or what we refer to today as personal injury. Causation says that if not for the company making that faulty product, then I would not have been injured. It's in the context of what they call but for. But for the man coming into the building with a wild dog, I would not have been attacked. So we find fault based upon the causation link between the injury and the person who perpetuated a chain of events that caused the injury. It doesn't even have to be immediate. It just has to start the chain of events. We know that from the Word of God that that's the way temptation is, that it wants to come in and then metastasize and become sin, and, and then sin brings forth death. And so there is this process that the enemy tries to take all of us down. So there has to be this causation link. Well, when you look to the Word of God, it appears in James that there is a causation link that is just assumed. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. It's dead. Why? Because it was alone. It's dead because it was by itself. There's another uh, established principle in Scripture that would buttress this uh, conclusion. We find it in Matthew. Matthew 18, 16 says, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established. Matthew eighteen twenty, For where two or three are gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. Uh, there is a credibility in the spirit realm uh, and in the power of God and in the presence of God uh, when there is at least two that are in agreement. Mm, uh, it's the atmosphere of life where two or three are gathered together. Why is that? Because the absence of a single soul or the absence of annihilation brings the presence of God. And if God is drawn to the absence of isolation, it is because He brings life. So where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them. When you came together today to worship the Lord in a corporate setting, it wasn't 
just because you didn't have other options. But you recognize that if I can get to the house of God, where there's some other people that are singing, that are worshiping, that are blessing the name of the Lord, that's where God will be. That's where life will flow. That's why David said, I was glad when they said it to me. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Because God's Spirit brings life. It is drawn to the two or three. It is drawn to the the gathering. Because if solitary is synonymous with death, then unity is synonymous with life. If two or three are gathered together, if two or three are in agreement something will begin to live. Something will begin to grow. If sin is not given an audience, then it must die. If sin is not given a place of agreement, it will die. If sin is isolated, then it is on death row. It's not dead yet, but it's coming. I said, it's not dead yet, but it's coming. Because I'm just going to put it on death row. It's still there. I can still hear its whispers in the night. But when I do, I just turn the temptation into worship. And I say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that in me is. You say, well, you must have had a perfect life, been raised in an ivory tower. There's not a person wearing shoe leather, dealing with skin and flesh. It doesn't have temptation. But the key is, what do you align yourself with? When sin tried to metastasize in Joseph's heart with the promise of promotion and the lure of a powerful woman, he would not give it room and board. He drove it away by declaring he could not do this sin against God. Here's where a lot of people mess up. They try to withstand temptation on their own. They try to withstand sin on their own. Oh, my friend, you're not big enough. You're not bad enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You can't do it on your own. You play into his game when you try to fight the enemy on your own. You've got to align yourself with righteousness. you got to align yourself with the right things. That's why Joseph said, I'm not going to align myself with her because I cannot sin against God. In other words, I'm not going to be in agreement with that. I'm going to be in agreement with this. I'm not going to be in agreement with unrighteousness. I'm going to be in agreement with righteousness. I can't sin against God because I've aligned myself with God. The only way you and I can refuse the advances of the enemy is to starve it out by aligning ourselves with the things of God, the house of God, the people of God. This is why the enemy will fight this, because he knows he can't stand it. He had taken over that Gadarean demoniac, multitude of devils, legion. There were many of them, isolated him. He couldn't be at home with his family. He was running by himself. This is what sin does. Isolate you. Put him up there in the tomb. He's not dead yet, but just have him run around in the tomb so he knows that one day this is where his home is. 
You better get used to it, Gadarean demoniac. You're not dead yet, but you're full of the devil. And so he just ran among the tombstones, the Bible said. They'd come out there and try to put chains on him, and he would break loose of the chains. He just ran like a wild man among the tombstones, isolated by himself. His family could hear the cries of their dad up on the hillside at night. They were embarrassed. Oh, they told the kids, I know, I heard your dad last night. He went, And they made fun of the family because he had been possessed with devils. But when Jesus and his disciples came across the Sea of Galilee, and oh, when they came across the Sea of Gennesaret and made their way close, the Bible said that the man ran down out of the tombs and began to worship God. You don't even have to be in your right mind. But there's something inside of you that says, if I can just worship God, if I can just bless the Lord, I don't even know what all's happening in me. But I'm tired of being by myself. I'm tired of being isolated from the presence of God and the people of God. There's something inside of you that says, I've got to worship. I've got to bless the Lord. I've got to exalt your holy name. be in agreement with righteousness. I'm going to be in agreement with holiness. I'm going to be in agreement with the things that God is doing. When David stayed in the company of people of like precious faith, he was able to withstand the temptation of revenge. But when he was alone, sin was able to find company. Something keeps coming at you that you know is wrong. Keep isolating it. It may not go away right away, but it will eventually. I said, it will eventually. You say, I'm tired of fighting this battle. Get up on your feet and fight one more day. I'm not going to give in to the voices of the enemy. I am not alone. I'm not going to let the devil tell me this church don't care about me. I'm not going to let this devil tell me that the pastor doesn't care about me. I'm not going to let this devil try to convince me that I don't have a place and a part in the kingdom of God. I am a child of God. I've been bought by His blood, sanctified by His Spirit. I've been buried in the name of Jesus Christ. This is my home. This is my house. This is where I abide. This is where the presence of God is. Come on, somebody. You gotta make up in your mind. I'm not gonna die alone. After the Egyptians were swallowed up in the Red Sea, Moses took the children of Israel down to the shore to watch the dead bodies of those Egyptian soldiers come up on the shore. You see, for 400 years they had been under the, the tyranny of these Egyptians that every time they wanted to hope and believe, They were forced back into the reality of their situation. The Bible says in the book of Acts that when they were in slavery, when they were in captivity in Egypt, that God fulfilled His promise to Abraham that He would make His seed to be as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. So while the enemy tried to do everything they could to kill Him, God kept multiplying them. Because even if you're in an adverse environment, God can keep multiplying His blessings upon you. Even if you can't see a way out of your dilemma, God can put people in your life. It'll say, we're going to worship God together. We're going to believe together. We're going to go to the house of God together. We're not going to die in this valley. We're not going to die isolated. We're going to get up and live to fight again. 
Moses told the children of Israel, I want you to go down to the shore. And they watched those dead Egyptian soldiers wash up on the shore. Look at their faces. I want you to look at them. As he said, from this day forward, we will not fight them anymore. We're going to have to fight other battles. We're headed into a desert. But this battle is over. Because the sea, the Red Sea, the Great Sea, as it's often referred, had isolated them from their past. This is what baptism does. It fixes a great gulf of remission or removal from you and the sins of your past. It removes you from the tyranny of unwanted visitation that'll come at you and say, oh, I knew who you are. You down there worshiping God, but I know where you were. I know the kind of life you used to live. You are nothing more than a heathen. You're a sinner. And the devil wants to remind you of your past. I feel like saying today what that old preacher said, that when you go down in that water in Jesus' name, all of your sins are washed away and God puts up a no fishing sign. That means don't go back and drag anything back up. (laughs) Don't let the enemy come back there and drag anything up. Just like that Red Sea separated the children of Israel from their past. I've come to tell you that when you are buried in baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ, everything that would try to control you and destroy you from your past is gone. It's lost its grip upon you. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You arise one more day to worship. One more day to say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. You're going to have more battles. You're still going to deal with humanity, but not anymore. That past, that addiction, that trial, it's gone forevermore. Oh, you ought to lift your hands and thank Him that God has set us free by the power of His name. Kill it through removal. Kill it by isolation. Sin seeks for a wounded spirit because it knows you're alone. It knows that you're alone in your thoughts. Alone in your hurt alone in your pain. It offers comfort. It offers a compassionate ear. Jonah was in a state of isolation after the city of Nineveh had repented. He had the wounded spirit of an older brother. You know that spirit that the older brother of the prodigal son had. The spirit that wonders why we're giving so much attention to the wicked. Why are we celebrating him coming home? Jonah had the same spirit. Why are we celebrating Nineveh repenting? They're a bunch of wicked people. In fact, the Bible said that Jonah said to the Lord, I knew this would happen. I knew you were a merciful God. This is why I went to Tarshish. You told me to go on a crusade. I wanted to go on a cruise. Because I knew that if I came to Nineveh and preached repentance, if by chance they repented, you would forgive them. Why don't you just take my life? The Bible said he went over on the east side of the city by himself, built a little booth, a little covering. He already had the smell of death on him because the smell of death is isolation. 
The thing that wants to die goes off to a place of isolation. If an animal is fixing to die, it doesn't go running and dancing in the meadows. You know where it goes? It goes to a place of underbrush. It, it crawls down in a ravine somewhere. It goes somewhere to isolate itself. That's why you should never let the enemy force you into a place of isolation. Even if you're wounded, even if you're hurting, you got to come up out of that ravine. you got to say, i got to get to the house of God. i got to get to a place of worship. I've got to bless the Lord anyhow. Isolation is intended to cause sin to die, but the enemy will try to turn it around and cause you to die. Death seeks isolation. God decided to give Jonah an object lesson. He prepared a gourd that grew up around Jonah and gave him more shade from the sun. He was happy about that. Then God prepared a worm to eat the gourd. And the next day prepared an east wind to blow his little shack down. And in the middle of that heat, Jonah says, It's better for me to die than to live. He's isolated And yet he is exposed. God exposes him to teach him a lesson about isolation. Is it possible for us to be so blessed that we get depressed with our blessings? Would we still worship God if everything was taken away from us? If we didn't have an air-conditioned building? If we didn't have a gourd and a lean-to to hide under? If just the heat of persecution was upon us, what would we do? God said, you mourn for the loss of that gourd. Although it came and went in one night, you had nothing to do with it. You didn't till the ground for it to grow. You didn't fertilize the soil and nurture the earth so it would grow. And yet you mourn more for that gourd than you did the city of Nineveh where 120,000 people do not know their right hand from their left hand. You know what the Lord was saying? There's 120,000 children that are in that city that don't know their right hand from their left hand. And because the people have repented, I have spared the city... And I'm like, what's what's Jonah going to do? The problem is, that's the last verse in Jonah. I'm flipping through the pages. What did he do? Going forward, I'm going backwards. And then I just felt my spirit to look into the New Testament. I go in the New Testament and I read, especially in Hebrews. Jonah didn't die in that situation. Something happened. For Jonah to be remembered. What happened after the Lord gave him this object lesson? Here's what I think happened. I think that Jonah got up and went down to Nineveh and found a way to rejoice with folks that he didn't even like. I think Jonah got up and went down into Nineveh even if he was going there grudgingly. I mean, he went and preached grudgingly. He probably went down there grudgingly after that. Let me go down there and see what's happening. He gets down there and kids are in the street worshiping. People are bringing their sacrifices. People are shouting Jehovah Jireh, my provider. They're worshiping all over. Before long, Jonah can't help himself. He finds somebody there in the streets to kind of dance with. 
At first, he can't dance. First, he doesn't feel like it. But after a while, because he joined himself to people that he didn't even care about. I mean, for a long time, you didn't even come to church because you heard about them holy rollers down there at Easter. I don't even like those people. But you came anyhow. And you hung on to your seat and you watched. Maybe even with a critical eye. Somebody come running by and you looked at them with wide open eyes. Wasn't sure what to do, but you just hang around long enough. Before long, you'll find somebody to worship with. (laughs) Before long, you'll say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Oh, my friend, I've come to tell you that you've got to do what Jonah did. I'm not going to die here in this isolation. I'm not going to die here under this gourd, feeling sorry for myself, sucking my thumb and feeling like I'm a martyr. i got to find somebody to worship with. That's the first thing you got to do is you got to rise up and find somebody to rejoice with. That's why the Bible says rejoice with them that rejoice. Sin wants to try to isolate you to keep you away from your brothers and sisters, keep you away from the church. You've got to push through and force yourself to come together. The Bible is full of verses that, that strengthen this. First Chronicles 16.34 Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He's good, for His mercy endureth forever. And say, ye save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us together, and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to Thy holy name and glory in thy praise. They say we're coming together. Why are we coming together? To glory in thy praise. Ezra 3.11 And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he's good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. They didn't even finish it yet. It was just the foundation. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice and many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people for the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard afar off there were people there with different purposes there were some people there with different emotions there were people there from different ways of perspectives of why they were there but guess what they all began to worship together and it created a noise that was heard afar off not everybody's like you not everybody's like me but we come together because we're not going to die as an isolated individual God has put us in a body of believers and so we choose to worship God we choose to say great is the Lord and greatly to be praised we come into your house to connect with our brothers and sisters and to worship him Isaiah 59 1 behold the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear but your iniquities watch this now your iniquities have separated between you and your God. See, that's how sin works. It separates. And your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. That's the natural cause. That's the natural byproduct of sin. Because you serve a holy God, there is that separation aspect that happens when sin becomes a prevalent part of your life. It isolates you. But look what happened. Psalm 62, 6. 
I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that made mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. A praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand. That's the position of power and authority. And by the arm of his strength, surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies. And the sons of the stranger shall not drink thy wine for the which thou hast labored. But they that have gathered it shall eat it. And praise the Lord. And they that have brought it together, together, together shall drink it in the courts of my Holy Ghost or my holiness. Praise will connect you. And praise will bring you together even though sin tried to separate oh the Lord said there's going to be a praise in the earth and so Jerusalem is going to be that and when you begin to praise him oh my friend God can't help but bless you and he said I'm going to give you sustenance I'm going to give you nourishment when they came together to worship God Elijah had battled fatigue from dealing with the prophets of Baal and then Jezebel he wondered if there would always be sin, always be someone trying to take his life. He asked God to take his life. He crawled up under a juniper tree. He crawled up under a juniper tree. A juniper tree. Now, I'd always read that and just thought that was one of them trees over there in the Middle East. But I was interested in juniper, so I researched it, and it's only found three times in the Bible. But one of the times that it's found in the Bible is in Job. And in, Jun- in Job... He says, I believe it's chapter 30. He says, they have taken the roots of the juniper tree and they have eaten them. And it became their meat. The roots of a juniper tree. They have taken them and they have eaten them and they have become their meat. Now think about that for just a moment. Here's Elijah up under a juniper tree. He crawls up under there. He's had this great revival. God answers by fire on the top of Mount Carmel. Incredible. Great things. And now he's down under a juniper tree. And he's just saying, Lord, just take my life. And twice an angel came to him like DoorDash and brought him a meal. Prepared it for him. Uber Eats brought it to him. And told him, arise and eat. (laughs) Oh, my friend, a person in spiritual isolation will stop eating. Not McDonald's. They will stop eating the Word of God. That's why not only do you have to arise and worship, but you've also got to arise and eat. You've got to get into the Word of God. You've got to have a steady diet of the Word. If you don't give a steady diet of the Word of God, you'll die in isolation. And I'm not talking about somebody telling you what the Bible says. I'm talking about you've got to open up the Bible yourself. And you've got to get into the Word. And it will be your strength. Come on. You don't have to die under a juniper tree. You can rise up and eat something. You can get into the Word of God. Now, I want you to notice this. There's a pattern here. There's a pattern between rise up and worship and rise up and eat. Do you notice anything there that's similar? Rise up. It's not rocket science. Rise up. You know what that means? 
you got to change your posture. You say, I don't know how to change my posture. You got to change your perspective. If you change your perspective, it'll change your posture. When you change your posture, it'll change your praise. There you have it. Say, how do I change my perspective? I'm going to start thinking on good things. I'm going to start thinking, you know what? God's been too good to me. He's blessed me too much. He's been too good to me. I can't die in this battle. I can't die in this crisis. I got to get up. I got to start to see things differently. And then when you change your posture, you'll begin to worship what you were created to worship. You weren't created to worship this world. You were created to worship the holy, mighty God of Israel. You were created to say, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all. All that in me is. You got to get up and eat. And when you get in the Word, it will change your perspective. Get in the book. Get in the book. Now, remember that juniper tree? The juniper roots, Job said, were used for their meat. Now watch this. The very thing that Elijah was hiding under was also his source of strength. Because when you cut those roots, that tree is going to die. And the tree would die when its roots were cut up. But Elijah would live. Sometimes you got to say, something's got to die. But I'm going to live. Hello, somebody. That old way of thinking's got to die but I'm going to live. I'm not going to run around my whole life with a victim mentality. I'm going to kill that right now and I'm going to cut the roots of that juniper tree and I'm not going to live in some sort of a victim mentality. I'm not going to go my whole life feeling like I got a raw deal. I'm going to kill it right now. I'm going to look that thing in the face and say, you're not going to control me any longer. Come on. I don't know what your granddaddy was or what your grandma was or if your daddy was an alcoholic, but it does not have to plague you any longer. You can say, I'm a child of God. I was created to worship. I am going to live. Come on, you got to kill that old way of thinking. You got to kill that old way of talking. You got to kill that old way of walking. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus and I'm going to stand up on my feet and I'm going to declare this is what thus saith the word of God. I am his child and no weapon formed against me shall prosper and nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not height nor depth nor any other creature, no principality or power can separate me from the love of God because I'm made up in my mind. I'm coming together with God's people. I'm coming together in God's house. I'm coming together to worship Him. To worship Him. Mm, would you lift your hands and worship? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this. I worship you, Jesus. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee. Mm, come on, the juniper tree has got to die, but I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. Come on, I'm going to get back up again. I'm going to rise up and eat. I'm going to rise up and worship. 
From there, Elijah goes to a cave. The Lord said, what are you doing here? So Elijah begins to explain why he's in a cave hiding. He said, I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children. I've been a good, I've been a good prophet, God. I don't know how y'all rate them up there, but I've, I've, been, I've done what you told me to do. I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. I, I'm, I'm doing what's right, but these people, they don't want to serve you. Children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars. I build altars, they throw them down. They've slain thy prophets with the sword. And then here it is. It's always the last thing that really reveals what they're thinking. People come in and talk to you and they tell you 12 things, but it's the last one is why they're actually there. This is the way Elijah was with God. Now here it comes. He's fixing to tell you what his deal is. And I, even I only, the spirit of isolation. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Death tries to convince you that you're alone. Nobody cares that nobody else is living for God. Tries to convince you you're the only one in your school. You're the only one on your job. You're the only one in your homeowners association. You're the only one in Southeast Palm Bay. You're the only one in Melbourne. You're the only one on the beach. Nobody else is trying to do right but me. Danger, 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 danger. Red lights have to go off in your mind and spirit. God says, I have 7,000. Just like he had to tell Jonah. There's 120,000 of children that don't know their right from their left hand. Now he has to tell Elijah, hey, guess what? I got 7,000 people that have not bowed their knee to Baal. I want to declare something right now. Maybe this is for somebody watching by internet. I want to declare this under the boldness of the Holy Ghost. That I don't care what the news media tells you. And it tries to make everybody convinced that this world is going to hell in a handbasket. I want to come against that lie. And say that this country is full of righteous people that love God. That get up every day and put their pants on and put a shirt on and they go to work and they support their families and they live righteous, godly lives. I've come to tell somebody, maybe you're watching by the internet, but I've come to tell you, you're not by yourself. God's got a, a church in this country. God's got a church in this world. And God's got a church in the ground that the rocks will cry out. That one day, that one day dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air there is a lot of godly people and you're one of them you're not alone you're not alone there's a lot of people that are with you so he tells Elijah go anoint Jehu to be king of Israel go anoint Elisha to be the prophet we got work to do you can't do it hiding in a cave Find somebody to do ministry with. You're feeling isolated? Pick up a Bible study chart and start teaching somebody a home Bible study. Find somebody to do ministry with. Ooh, man. If I could just find somebody 
that will begin to worship the Lord with me. If I can just get in the presence of somebody that's hungry for God. You ever wonder why in the book of Acts the apostles were always in pairs? That's because Jesus sent them out that way. The Bible said he sent them out two by two. He sent Philip out in the desert. And you say, well, he sent him out by himself. And Acts say, yes, he did, but he put him out there to connect with somebody else that was isolated. Put him out in the desert. But there was a man from Ethiopia coming down in his chair. He had been to Jerusalem to worship. And now he had his book open. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah was talking about the Messiah. And he wondered who it was. So the Lord picked up Philip out of a red-hot revival in Samaria. And plopped him down in the middle of the desert. Why? Because if you'll read the book, you won't be alone. I want to say something to all you singles. You want to find somebody? You need to get in the book. You don't need to be 1-800-FIND-A-MATE. You don't need to be running on all these connection websites. All you got to do is get into the Word of God. Say, Lord, I'm going to just serve you. I'm going to worship you. You won't be by yourself very long. If you get in the book, if you start to say, I want to find something in the Word of God that will allow me to help somebody else. How can I accept some man should show me? Philip says, you understand what you're reading? No, never even met him. Calls him up in his chair and he starts to tell him about who the prophet Isaiah is talking about. Starts to tell him about Jesus. Starts to tell him about baptism. And about that time they come across an oasis in the middle of the desert down there in the Gaza Strip in the southern part of the Holy Land area. Tells the chariot driver to stop. Mr. Philip, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, if you believe. He said, I believe. And they got down out of the chariot and he baptized him in the name of Jesus Christ. Because you're not alone. You are not alone. I've got to find a way to get connected to what God is doing. And if I do, and if you do, God is going to do something powerful, supernatural. Oh, my friend, sin dies when it's isolated, so starve it out. But souls don't have to die in isolation because we have the ability to rise up. We got the ability to come together. This is what Ezekiel was being taught by God. God took him to a graveyard to illustrate the reversal of this process. The grave had isolated the bodies and even the bones because the isolation of the grave continues its destructive process. They were separated by death and time. But God told Ezekiel to prophesy to the bones. And tell them what thus saith the word of God. Hey, all you dry bones, listen up. He's standing by himself in a cemetery with a valley of dry bones. And he's down there by himself. But he's in the presence of God. And he says, prophesy to the bones and tell them, hear the word of the Lord. Why does he start out telling the bones to hear the word of God? Because there's life in the word. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, 
I will cause breath enter into you and ye shall live. If the first thing is rise up and worship and the second thing is rise up and eat and partake of the word of God, the third thing is rise up because the spirit of God is bringing us together. And it is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that unites us together, that gives us the resurrection spirit of life. Sin wants to destroy, sin wants to decay, but the Spirit of God has come to resurrect us and to give us a new way of thinking and a new way of talking and a new way of walking. And the Spirit of God does not make you a human monastery. The Spirit of God does not fill you up and then isolate you. Oh no, my friend. The Spirit of God fills you up and then connects you to the body of believers. The Spirit of God brings life by bringing us together. That's why in the book of Acts we read, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews devout men out of every nation under heaven now when this was noised abroad the multitude came together from all different countries they came together that's what the house of God does that's what the spirit of God does brings us together we may be from all different countries but we come together Because the Spirit of God is the great unifier that brings us together. That's why we're not white or black or Democrat or Republican or liberal or conservative. We are the children of God. The Spirit of God has brought us together. The world wants to divide us. But God says you're all mine. Every single one. You are my children. Jews, Gentiles, Pasa, it didn't matter where they were from. They were all coming together. Because the Spirit brings you together. Now back to Ezekiel verse 6. And he says, And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. You see how that Spirit brings life? And ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. And as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. Do you see the parallel between that and Acts chapter 2? There was a noise, and there was a shaking. Now watch this. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. Now watch this, folks. Before the Spirit of God came, before the life came, it talks about the bones all came together, but there was no breath yet. The bones preceded the breath. Oh, you say, if I can feel the Spirit of God, I'll come together. No, no. When you come together, that's when the Spirit of God comes. Now take it all the way back to the beginning where two or three are gathered together. There will I be in the midst of them. It's the Spirit of God that honors the coming together so you may feel like you're just a dry bone and you don't have anything to offer you've just been beat up by sin but you know what you got up and got dressed today you said I'm going to the house of God I don't know what to expect but I'm going down there my friends have told me it's a good place to go let's go have church and you came down here anyhow and you said I'm going to bless the Lord oh my soul 
you don't have it all figured out yet. You haven't repented of all your sin. Not everything's washed away. You still got stuff clawing at you, trying to drag you back into your path. But you said, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to go into one of them services and I'm going to get with brothers and sisters and we're going to say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And when you came together, bone coming to bone. Come on, elbow coming to elbow. There were sinews. There was those things that unite us together that would put flesh on the bones. Oh yeah, the Spirit may not have come yet, but you're here and you said, I'm going to bless God anyhow. That's why when you want to receive the Holy Ghost, you just worship until you receive the Holy Ghost. Because when you worship, you're unified with brothers and sisters in one voice, in one mind, in one accord. And the Spirit flows from the unity of people coming together. That's why the bones came together first. Sin like a cancer has to stay in hiding until it dies. Because the body rejects the divisive nature of the cancer. But the body lives. It lives because it's together. And the sin dies because it's isolated. Body, you and I. We don't have anything on our own. We're not better off than anybody else. But God has put us in a family of believers. And when the body comes together, it lives with corporate worship. It lives on the health and the strength of the Word of God as a life-sustaining sustenance. It soars and it arises with the breath of the Spirit of God. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up on their feet. Not some little old ragtag army. Not some little old malnutritioned, starvation crowd wandering through the wilderness. They stood up on their feet an exceeding great army. You don't get there on your own, my friend. You get there with the Spirit of God that resurrects you. It says because you refuse to isolate yourself, I will bless you and I will give you a new way of thinking and a new way of living. All you and I have to do is to refuse to die in isolation, come together, and then begin to worship. The Word of God has been given to you today. Now, all you got to do is begin to worship. And the breath of God will blow into this place. And a mighty army will rise up. You may feel like you're the only one in your family that's serving God. But I got news for you. You're a part of a mighty army. So rise up. Come together. And live. Rise up. Come together. And live. Rise up. Come together. And live. 
Rise up! Come together! And live! Rise up! Come together! And live! Rise up! Come together! And live! Would you lift up your hands now all across this building? Would you lift up your voice with a shout of triumph? I feel an unction of the Holy Ghost in this place today. If you need God to heal your body, I want you to step out from where you're standing and come down to this altar. If you need God to fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost, I want you to step out from where you're standing and I want you to walk down that aisle. I want you to change your posture. And I want you to come to a place and a position of worship. And I want you to come together in this altar. And we're going to begin to worship the Lord. We're coming together. You don't have to come by yourself. Take your neighbor by the hand. Say, come on, let's go together. Find somebody to worship with. Come on, find somebody to worship with. I'm coming to the house of God. I'm coming to the altar of God. I'm coming together right now. And I'm going to worship the Lord with all of my heart. Make your way down right now. Come from wherever you are and come down to this altar and begin to lift up your heads and worship Him. That's it, begin to worship Him. Come on, I'm not going to die by myself in this dilemma. I'm not going to die a wounded soldier. Come on, rise up, rise up, rise up one more time. your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. Oh, you're so great. 